Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet. Are you paying for your me time with just any credit card in your wallet? While you shouldn't stop treating yourself, you should start paying with a credit card that has perks. NerdWallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side by side to maximize your spending. Some even offering 10 times points on your spending. So what could future you do with better rewards? A free flight? Room upgrades? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and term supply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Hi, everyone. I'm Katie Couric, and welcome to Next Question. Today... Now to growing concerns about the deadly coronavirus officially hitting the U.S. Los Angeles County, where 10 million people live, has declared a public health emergency. In Washington state, they are confirming now the first U.S. death. There is a confirmed case here in New York City. Coronavirus is now in the nation's capital. Texas. Arizona. Florida. Illinois. Massachusetts. What began as a distant and mysterious illness in China at the end of 2019 has made its way around the world and is now spreading across the U.S. As of this recording, the majority of states have confirmed cases of coronavirus that range from a few to hundreds. Here in New York City, where I live, there are at least 36 confirmed cases, and Mayor Bill de Blasio says they're coming in intensely. Just this week, I had my own brush with the virus, which is now officially called COVID-19. On Saturday, March 7th, I ran into an old friend, Rick Cotton, who's the head of the New York and New Jersey Port Authority. Two days later, news broke that he had tested positive for COVID-19. We only had seen each other on the street very briefly and didn't have any physical contact. But still, in this climate, you can never be too careful. After I heard the news, I immediately went home and called the CDC. I also called the New York State Department of Health and spoke to my own doctor as well. In addition to them, I spoke to the first guest on this podcast. They all assured me I was at very low risk for contracting COVID-19 and there was no need to self-quarantine. So I'll continue to take the same precautions as you are, hopefully, washing my hands, staying away from large crowds, and monitoring my symptoms. But all of this leads me to my next question. What is coronavirus and how can we protect ourselves and our loved ones? To understand more about COVID-19, 
I called up someone who's working on the front lines of this outbreak. Hi, Maria. Hi. How are you? Hey there. So nice to hear your voice. You too. Dr. Maria Van Kerkhove is the head of the Outbreak Investigation Task Force for the World Health Organization. She lives in Switzerland, but she traveled to China just a few weeks ago to study the virus. How would you assess the current situation with an understanding that it seems to change almost by the hour? Yes. So uh, this is an evolving situation, you know. So this is this is an outbreak that began in December um, with a cluster of patients with pneumonia um, in Wuhan, China, and then it had spread to other parts of China. Um, over the course of the month in January, there were cases that were being detected in other parts of the world, mainly in Asia to begin with, but also in other countries. And this started with a travel link. Um, and this is we we, we found uh, cases that were identified in a number of countries. And the outbreak has grown since then. Um, what is interesting is that this is a new virus. Um, very early on, uh, the first cases were alerted to us in late December, early January. But within a week, within one week, the Chinese authorities were able to identify that this was a new pathogen. This was a novel coronavirus. That's where that word comes from. Um, and that, and that's very important. So they, they were able to identify that within a week using full genome sequencing. Which wow. Is looking at the, 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 the parts of the virus itself. Um, and in finding that new virus, they were able to share that with the world and say, this is a novel pathogen. Here's the sequence, which they made publicly available. And that allowed countries all over the world to develop PCR tests or laboratory detection tests so that they could start looking for that virus. What exactly is a pathogen? Uh, so the pathogen that we, we normally call these pathogens either viruses or bacteria, this new pathogen happens to be a virus. I lead a group on emerging diseases and zoonoses. And most of the new viruses that we find come from animals. And they, they spill over from an animal to a human. And we are, we're constantly on the lookout for new pathogens, new viruses that are infecting humans. Let's talk about this one. What animal was responsible for the coronavirus? As of today, we don't know. Um, but there's a lot of investigations right now that are looking for what was the animal source of this outbreak. Um, this is a coronavirus, and we know that coronaviruses have a link back to bats. Um, most viruses, most viruses come from bats, but coronaviruses come from bats initially. But what we think happened here is that there was another animal or what we call an intermediary host. That animal was infected and that animal was responsible for infecting humans. There's a lot of investigations underway in animal markets because some of the initial cases in December um, had reported a link to one particular market. And so that gave us a clue that there could be an animal source. Tell us about how contagious this is compared to other pathogens you've just you've studied. So this is a this this virus causes a respiratory disease, and so people who get sick have respiratory symptoms. And the way that it's transmitted between people is through droplets, um, which means if you cough or if you sneeze on somebody, you are um, releasing some of these droplets from your mouth, these little uh, droplets of fluid. And those droplets can go into the eyes, nose, and mouth of someone else if they're in, in close distance to you, not in the air, but in their, actually in there within three feet of you or so. 
Um, and so if you come in contact with an infected person, um, you could potentially be infected by them. And what we know about this virus is that for every person who's infected, on average, they infect two to two and a half more people. And that means that you have the possibility for this outbreak to take off. What's important to know here is that um, it's a new virus, which means everyone is susceptible. Um, and so what we're trying to do with all of the information that we put out is to try to tell individuals what they can do to protect themselves from being infected. So everyone is susceptible because nobody has built up the immunities to prevent them from getting this virus. Having said that, um, it doesn't seem as dangerous for young children as far as everything I've read. Um, And it's much more dangerous for either older people or those who have compromised immune systems. Is that accurate? Yes, that's right. What we know from initial data is, yes, indeed, young children seem to not be infected as much um, or develop severe disease. So most of the children that we are learning about that are infected um, have a mild disease. We do know that people of older ages, over 60, 70, 80 years old, uh, and people who have underlying conditions like cardiovascular disease, diabetes, chronic respiratory diseases, have a higher risk of um, severe disease and death. You mentioned how it can be transferred from human to human. A lot of people are also concerned, Maria, about how long it stays on surfaces. Um, Mm -hmm. What are you learning about that? So we are learning that this virus can stay on surfaces. So one of the ways that it gets on surfaces is if you cough or if you sneeze, these droplets come out of your mouth and they move some distance from you and then they settle down on surfaces, Um, you know, like a tabletop um, or a doorknob, for example. But they can be killed by disinfectants. So it's very important that surfaces are cleaned regularly with the chlorine bleach, for example, um, and then you can remove the virus from those surfaces. And what are you learning about the lifespan? Because I've heard everything from a few hours to several weeks. In general, it's a few hours. I mean, well, it could be a few hours. I should qualify what that means. It doesn't mean one or two hours. It could be up to a day or two. That's still hours, but that sounds like a really long time, doesn't it? Right. I think, Katie, what's important is for people to know that they have some control over this, you know, that they can um, protect themselves, they can protect their families in a simple way is, is regularly disinfecting your workspace. You know, if you look at your keyboard and you look at your phone surface, making sure that that's clean, making sure your handlebars are, are cleaned a few times per day, making sure you wash your hands. I mean, I know people must be so tired of us saying this, but washing your hands with soap and water is a lifesaver, not just for COVID-19, but for many things. And if you can't wash your hands, making sure you use an alcohol rub. Well, you know, you mentioned, and I noticed that things that are are cleansers or Purell, sorry to use a, a brand name, but they're antibacterial. And if this is a virus, how does Purell protect you from the, from it if it's in fact antibacterial? Well, there are, with the alcohol that's in these alcohol rubs, um, you are removing that virus um, from, from your hands. I mean, the best thing for you to do is wash your hands with soap and water and make sure you follow the, 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 the steps and you get all of the surfaces of your hands and you can remove those viruses from your hands. But the alcohol rub, um, the alcohol has to be 60 to 70% or above alcohol, and that will remove that virus from, the, from your hands. 
You were very kind to talk to me after I realized I had a 60 to 90 second conversation with someone who was later diagnosed with coronavirus and was probably about three feet away, didn't touch, and basically just had a casual conversation. Can you please uh, direct some of what you would say to people who are panicked that I actually, you know, was talking to somebody who was later diagnosed with coronavirus, who at the time was it was asymptomatic? Yeah. So, so first of all, it's it's important to acknowledge that people are scared. You know, there's a lot of information that's out there. Um, some of it is accurate. Uh, much of it is inaccurate. Um, and people are scared. It's a new disease. It's a new virus. Um, it's spreading um, around the world, and people people can be quite fearful of that. What's important for us to understand is, you know, why are people scared? What is it that makes them scared? And try to address some of those. Um, the thing that you, you've mentioned is you, you've indicated the type of exposure that you may have had or you did have with this individual. Knowing what the risk is, um, is, is really important. So you've indicated, you know, the person was asymptomatic. You were more than three feet away. It was a very, cl- it was a sh- very short encounter. You know, putting all that into context, what's important for everyone to do is to assess their own risk. You know, look at what their exposure was. Um, what their potential exposure was, because most of the times it's even potential exposure. It's not actually real exposure to the virus. Right. And then there's certain things you need to take into consideration. What is your age? What are your underlying conditions? Um, and then what do I do? So if you are concerned, what should I do? Um, and I think it's important that people know that they can contact their local health authorities, um, Departments of Health, um, you know, within the U.S., you have the U.S. CDC. There are hotlines that you can call. You can call your own GP and ask the question. Say, here's, here's my concern. Here's my potential risk. What should I do? We need people to know what they, they can do. And what is different about this virus compared to flu is that containment is not possible with influenza. But containment is possible with this coronavirus. And the reason we can say that is because we've seen such incredible efforts by a number of countries, including China, um, that have really showed us that transmission can be reduced, case numbers can go down, and in many parts of China, they have their zero reporting cases. So what are they doing right? They have their entire population mobilized to fight against this. Every single person in the population knows what they can do in terms of these three things I mentioned, hand washing, respiratory etiquette, social distancing. Um, there are Chinese authorities and other countries. It's not just China that has shown this. Singapore is another good example. Um, they've shown that if you identify all of your cases and all of your contacts um, and that they're isolated so that, that you remove them from transmitting to other people, um, care for them, making sure they get appropriate clinical care, uh, making sure that they're communicated with and so that they know what their risk is and, and, and by keeping them either in quarantine or in isolation that they're, they're performing a public health good. There's been a lot of suspension of, of public gatherings. Um, and there's been some movement restrictions and several temporary movement restrictions in many cities across China. And so all of those, that combination of, of um, efforts has, has driven down transmission. 
Um, in some situations, it's been quite extreme, and, and we've seen that in Wuhan, where we've seen a total lockdown of some cities, and you, you're hearing about some of this happening in Italy as well. Right. But that restriction of movement of individuals prevents the spread um, of the viruses. So what we're doing for all countries, Katie, is we're talking to all of governments um, and saying the more aggressive action you have early on, the better chances you have to stop the outbreak from starting. Um, and we have evidence that this works in several countries, and we want to see that happen in, in, in the rest of the world. So you mentioned uh, self-quarantine or quarantining populations. When should self-quarantine or any kind of quarantine be put into effect? WHO makes recommendations on this, but it's up to national governments to implement and different governments have implemented different measures in, in this respect. So it's important to follow the national guidance of what each country recommends. Um, what you did in your perfect example of this is that you had an exposure and you went home and you self-isolated or you self-quarantined. You went home. And that was a good measure before you, and then you made those phone calls to say, okay, what is my risk? Um, what we recommend, it depends on the type of exposure you have. If you're a contact of a known case, um, then we recommend a quarantining of that individual so that there's no chance of them passing it on to another individual. They're monitored for 14 days, which is the incubation period, which is the time from um, infection to the development of symptoms. Um, so that for over those 14 days, people are monitored and they're checked for symptoms to make sure if they have any fever or if they have any respiratory symptoms and then tested. If we do that, if we actually find all of the cases find all of the contacts, and we, we can, by doing that, we can actually stop transmission from, from happening. We can stop human-to-human -human transmission from happening. So not to make it all about me, but I did have contact with a known case. Was it, Maria, because it was before the diagnosis was confirmed or because I had very limited exposure that I would not have to be quarantined because everyone said that wasn't necessary? So it's, it's both. I mean, it, like, like you explained, it's the nature of the exposure that you would have with someone and if they had symptoms themselves, um, what type of contact you had with them, if you had physical contact with them. Um, you know, one of the things we most worry about are healthcare workers. You know, healthcare workers who are our frontline workers, they have a different type of contact with patients. Right, they're touching um, them, they, they're very close to them, they're spending a longer period of time with them, et cetera. That's right. That's right. And so it's important that you assess the risk based on that level of exposure that you had. I know that a person can be infected, but asymptomatic. Can the, can the virus spread when someone is asymptomatic before a diagnosis has taken place? And how difficult has that been that the incubation period is so long? So this is a very good question, and this is a very important one. Um, we are working with all of our member states to better understand three things. One, when um, cases are reported, um, are any of them reported as being asymptomatic? And what I mean by asymptomatic is having no symptoms at all. Um, and what we're finding in some countries, a small number of individuals are being reported as asymptomatic. Um, most of those people are contacts of known cases. Um, and so the good the good news there is that they've, they've already been identified. Uh, many of them have either self-isolated at home or are in quarantine, and so they're already um, restricting their, their, their contact with other people. 
many of those asymptomatic people do go on to develop symptoms. So having someone that's truly asymptomatic um, among the reported cases that we know about is rare. Um, what we know from virus shedding studies, and these are studies of looking at people where you test them regularly, you take a, a sample from their nasal swab or their throat, um, we're looking at those individuals before they develop symptoms, if there's any virus there, and then after they develop symptoms. And what we know is from some people, um, they can shed virus, which means they, can, uh, they are shedding virus before they develop symptoms. Um, so there is a theoretical risk. There's the possibility that someone who's asymptomatic can transmit. But right now, we don't believe that that's a major driver of transmission because we do not have many documented instances where someone who is asymptomatic transmitted to other people. Do you think that this will diminish as the weather gets warmer? Um, that's a good question. I get that question quite a lot. Um, the true answer is we don't know. Um, we have no reason to believe that this virus will act differently um, in different climates. You know, we're seeing cases being popping up in different types of climates. Um, we have a couple of cases in Africa. We've seen cases in Singapore. We've seen some cases in Brazil. Um, and so we want everyone to be ready and to be aggressive and to assume that it will behave the same way. The difference with, with, with not the virus, but there are differences in the way people behave when the weather is nicer. They spend more time outdoors as opposed to being indoors. So we will have to see how this virus behaves once the northern hemisphere winter ends. But remember, the southern hemisphere winter will begin. So um, we want to make sure everyone is acting as aggressively as possible to contain this virus and to stop transmission. And I know you have to go. You have such important work to do, Maria. But could this surpass the flu in terms of the mortality rate? Because everyone keeps comparing the number of deaths due to flu versus this. Um, is it just still early, early stages? So mortality of, of COVID-19 is higher than flu. Um, from all of the information that we have from across the countries, um, more people, the, the mortality rate is higher than flu. Um, what is really important that from all of the cases that we know um, to date, 80% of them have experienced what, what is more of a mild, moderate disease, which does not require hospitalization. But about 20% of individuals will develop severe disease or critical disease, which will require some respiratory support um, and hospitalization, perhaps ventilation. Um, and then a small proportion will ha have died so far. Um, what we need people to understand is that this is a serious disease, um, that it can cause severe disease, and it can kill. Um, and so we hear a lot, I hear a lot of, oh, it's maybe just the flu or it's just the bad flu. It's not that. We need everybody to understand that maybe even their own individual risk, maybe you are young, maybe you are healthier and your family is healthy, and that's wonderful. But if you prevent, prevent yourself from getting infected, you also prevent yourself from transmitting it to somebody else who may be part of a vulnerable population, somebody who may be older, somebody who may have an underlying condition. And so that's really important. Again, we all have a role to play here. If we can minimize our own risk of infection, then we can minimize that spread to, to vulnerable populations. And those individuals have a higher chance of death. How do you make people cautious but not so paralyzed with fear? And I know you want people we, to take it seriously, but you don't want mass panic and hysteria either. Absolutely not. We don't. We just want people to be ready. Um, we want people to be safe. 
We want people to be smart. We want people to inform themselves with the latest information. This situation is, is moving very rapidly. It's evolving quickly. Every day we're learning something new. Keep up with us. Be patient with us um, as we learn information and we share that with you. And, and be kind to one another. Help each other out. Um, you know, there's a lot of stigma and there's a lot of negative things that are happening. But on the other side, we, we can see the best in people. You can help them out. Um, if you have neighbors that can't get out themselves, help them with their groceries. You know, offer, offer some social support. Um, just be kind to one another. Um, those are the things we need people to do. Be ready, be safe, be smart, and be kind. Well, those are words to live by, corona or no corona, right, Dr. Maria exactly. Van Kirko? Exactly. Really, I, I've loved being able to talk to you. Thank you so much for your guidance. That was Dr. Maria Van Kirkhove, infectious disease epidemiologist with the World Health Organization. Coming up, one Chinese-American man tells us what it was like to be smack in the middle of the epidemic. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Yulin Yin lives in Minnesota with his wife, Anne, and their two daughters. In January of this year, he was scheduled to travel to Wuhan province in China, where he was born, for New Year celebrations with his family and friends. But as he was getting ready, rumors began to emerge that there was a mysterious illness in the region. Yulin and his family tried to find out more. And uh, I looked online. There's really not a lot of information. And uh, my family in Wuhan did not 
mention at all about that. But I was still a little bit nervous, so I actually went to check with uh, uh, a clinic uh, I usually go to. Mm-hmm. Just ask them if there are any va- va- um, vaccination for me. And then my wife actually checked too, just asked uh, that uh, there's, there's something called a travel clinic. If there's anything that I should be worried or is is anything we can do to be safe. And at that time, there was really nothing. So I said, okay, I just need to be careful. So Yulin said goodbye to his family in Minneapolis and boarded a plane for Wuhan. He landed on January 20th, 2020. I remember I was at uh, uh, the luggage pickup. Uh, I felt nervous definitely at that time because everybody around me were wearing masks at that time. And uh, actually, I, I, it was the first time I saw N20, N95 masks. I, I kind of feel, oh, that's a strange mask. I remember I saw it in myself. So it has the little valve, valve thing on, on in the front. So actually, and that, uh-huh. that was like a, a bre- like a breathing thing. That's right. That's my first time I saw it. I said, well, that's really serious, serious equipment for people to wear. Maybe the pneumonia is more serious than I thought. By January 23rd, the Chinese government started to limit travel around Wuhan. No one was allowed to leave, and public transit was also shut down. For the first two days, I actually went out with my family to go to different restaurants. And uh, so that, that that was the third day. I remember I, because I, I still having jet lags, I woke up at two o'clock in the morning and uh, I got a message from a friend in United States, actually. He he sent me a text saying, oh, I heard Wuhan is locked down. Is that true? So I said, what do you, I, I was thinking, what, what, what do you mean lockdown? And then I, Looking, I have to search on the social media to to verify the news, and then I found out there is a notice somewhere. Basically, said what what the traffic coming out of Wuhan are uh, locked down. Did not say anything coming in, so you can still come in Wuhan, but you cannot leave. Actually, I remember it was not very clear at that time. I was thinking, wow, so the there's no train going out, there's no um, there's no flights. Can I still go by car? Actually, I was thinking, should I wake up my brother-in-law, ask him to drive me to Shanghai somewhere so I can go home? Just a little bit confused at that time. It was not very clear. So it didn't seem like the government was communicating what was going on very well, and you were getting most of your information from social media. You didn't know if you could leave or if people could come in, you were kind of in limbo, it sounds like. That, that is correct. Just a lot of confusion. Were you worried at that point uh, how you were going to get the heck out of Dodge and back to your family in Minnesota? Yeah, I, w- I was worried. And, but at that time, I, I, I was hopeful. I was thinking Wuhan is a city of 11 million people. Uh, in my mind, there's no way that the lockdown can last more than, say, one or two weeks. So I, I was actually very hopeful. My trip was uh, three weeks. I was okay, just uh, see how, how, how it go. It may be, the lockdown may be lifted in a couple of weeks. That, that, I, that, I, that was my thinking at that time, actually. On January 23rd, when you looked out the window, 
what did it look like outside? Yeah, it was just quiet, very quiet, which is very unusual for、uh, the place where I stay. And my mom, my mom's condo is very is close to a street. That street actually is one of the most congested street in Wuhan. Usually, people try to avoid it, so it's always always a lot of traffic. But yeah, that day or even a couple days before, it just not many cars is empty. It's it's very strange. It, I was almost felt like it's a, a sci-fi film. You know, the I, actually I remember that there's a film title called、uh, "The Day When the Earth Stood Still." I was thinking about that. By January 25th, just five days after Yulin landed in Wuhan, the U.S. government mandated evacuations of U.S. personnel and citizens from the region. At that time, I was surprised actually when the first evacuation. Happen. Actually, that's the time I start to get really, really worried. I, I said, I, I was thinking, what, what I did not know, because at the beginning I said I'm gonna just wait out for the、uh, lockdown to lift to be lifted. When when United States、uh, evacuated or the uh, or the a、uh, consular employees and the staff and the family member, I I got really worried. When I heard the news,、um, it was it was said there's only very limited seats available for private citizens. So I tried to contact them, but that time was already、uh, full the flight, so、I、had to wait. And there was not really words about a new evacuation plan at all. So I asked my wife to start contacting. People here in the United States. So my wife、uh, contacted、um, the state, the congressional representatives from, from Minnesota, and they were very helpful. They talked to State Department, and they found out、uh, there are there were a new evacuation、uh, flights planned, but there was not nothing in the news. But that's what, how I heard about it. Then I got、uh, registered on the State Department website, and there's、uh, there's is, there's some confu- confusion there too. So I registered in their website. I sent an email to one email address, and then the representatives they help to talk, communicate with with the State Department too. So that's how I got on the list to be evacuated. See, sometimes the government works, right? <laughs> I mean. Thank goodness. And did you feel guilty leaving your family in China? I understand your parents live there, cousins live there. Did you feel bad、uh, saying goodbye to them? Actually, I felt really bad when I had to leave.、Um, yeah, I it was pretty tough, especially my parents are older. And but、um, but there's a. Really, not much I could do there to even help them. I do worry about my job in United States too myself because my I have a family here to rely rely on me. So, but it was a very difficult decision actually. I'm sure you were torn. Are your parents doing okay? They are doing fine in terms of coronavirus. They're okay, but my dad is older, so she actually she he. Fell twice already、uh, since I left, and 
he just couldn't get the care he needed for now. So I'm very nervous about that still. Oh, he couldn't get, is that because all the doctors and the medical personnel were focused on people who were getting the coronavirus? So other things uh, were not being prioritized? That That is correct. And also, frankly, we don't want to go to hospital at this time, too. Right. I'm sure that was a concern, particularly for older people. And if he has any underlying health issues, well, good luck with him. I hope he's doing okay. Let me ask about you uh, on, on the final leg of your journey. You're flying home on this massive unmarked cargo plane. Uh, were people on the plane sick? Were you nervous about being in such close proximity to people who were heading out of the country that they might be contagious? Yes, we are very nervous. Uh, that That's the time actually I wore a mask the whole time. And the people really not talking to each other. There's not much socializing at all. Pretty much everybody kept to themselves. On February 5th, Yulin landed in San Diego with the rest of the evacuees. Contention upon getting the flight out of China was a 14-day quarantine on a U.S. military base, where Yulin tried to settle into a new strange reality. This was the, the largest quarantine since 50s. So I, I don't think anybody was actually prepared. So... Um, even I, I remember uh, at the beginning, the food was not enough, right? Like oh, we, really? We, yeah, we didn't have enough food to eat. That was the biggest complaint. And uh, how we do laundry, that was a big question. We felt like we're kind of like a refugees in, in, in a way because nobody really packed a lot of stuff. So first thing right. we got there is, oh, how do we do laundry? So... They were not prepared for that. So, so little things like that. And also the, the, the protocol, uh, who, should be, who should be tested, or, uh, how, you know, how much restriction everybody should be getting, wasn't, uh, wasn't, was clear. Was everyone tested? No. Uh, only people with a fever got tested. I, I believe the whole time we have uh, uh, nine people got tested, I think. And you never exhibited any symptoms? You never got sick? I I had a little bit of cough. Um, so I actually went to the medical tent to, I told them I have a little bit of cough. They checked me and then they said, they told me uh, nothing to worry about. But they did come back to me, ask me to stay home when we had one confirmed case. So they asked me to stay inside the room. Oh, one confirmed case at the military base. Right. Before that, so how were you able to interact with the other people there? Did they bring food to your room? Can you just give us a a little feel for your day-to-day activities while you were at the base? We can move quite freely, and the CDC, they suggested not to wear masks. They were saying anybody who wants to wear masks, they can, but they do not recommend that. 
and uh, we 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 were told just keep a social distance, which is uh, six feet away from each other. So the food were delivered in a like a in a whole in a big lounge area. We we would pick up the food and uh, at beginning I would pick up the food and go back to my room to eat it. And later I found out a few people they actually hang out around the area, so I would actually eat with them. Just again keep social distance. That's when we can chat a little bit with each other. We we talk. Um. So every day we have a daily meeting at uh, two o'clock just to keep us updated on everything. Uh, the coronavirus itself, and also uh, if anybody got sick in in our um on the on the, in the quarantine site, and we do two times uh, morning and evening we have to check our temperature. So that's that's mandatory. And outside of that, mm-hmm. we really, you know, we can do pretty much anything we want, and we can we can go outside of the room. I start jogging in the yard. Um, you know, there's a great sunshine, so I have a lot more movement than when I was in China. What was it like getting home to your wife and two kids? You must have been so happy. I I, I was really yes, I, I was really happy, and was very grateful. There are so many things uh, I took for granted in life. That very a lot of small things like driving my daughter to school, even shoveling snow. All those things just you know what seems so far away when I was quarantined. So actually, well, I feel like I finally can do no no more things again. That was so great, and I was really grateful for my wife. And uh, she worked really hard to get me on the flight, and she worked very hard to just to you know make sure my daughter feels nothing strange, you know, for the last the the whole months. So really grateful for that, and uh, just you know another thing too, I can finally hug someone. That's another strange. There's no human touch during the whole o- ordeal. So when I come home and actually can hug my wife, kiss my daughter, that was feel great. Are you back at work? Has life returned to normal now? Well, I'm back to work. Um, I I wouldn't say back to normal uh, because I really did not expect uh, it became so serious here now. Because I when I when I came when I saw, I really saw during when I was in quarantine. After quarantine, everything will be normal. There's no, you know, nobody even talk about coronavirus anymore. I really did not expect many weeks after that uh, we are talking about, you know, lockdown in Italy or all those very serious things right now. There does seem to be um, a lot of panic. I think all across the country and.、Um, How is it different from what you can tell the reaction here in this country versus the reaction in China? I, I think one thing common is、uh, there's a mistrust in government. I think that's、uh, truly、um, that's the same、uh, Chinese、uh, and American here. I don't be, I don't think they believe、uh, the even the official news they see. I think that's. Right, very the same. 
The difference is、um, Chinese people. I I really believe they they will follow whatever the government tells them to to do. The the even the measures very drastic. Like say, do not go outside. You have to wear mask all the time. Even they don't believe that, but they follow that, and they are hopeful that uh will turn out uh the result turn out to be good. In the United States, I believe I from what I see on the Twitter or talking to friends, people already have a picture that how coronavirus should be dealt with, how how what what the response should be like. So if the government or the media does not respond the way they wanted, they are just not ready to accept that. Other than realizing you shouldn't take for granted certain things like a shower, or hugging your wife, or taking your daughter to school, what have you learned from this whole experience?、Uh, what I learned is the information, trust the information is so important. There is so much misinformation fly, flying around、uh, on Twitter and even in the news. You have, have to be, we have to be very, very careful to check the source. Another thing I learned is listen to the experts. I'm not expert in virus, so I try to find experts I can trust. So I try to listen to them. Yulin, thank you so much for for talking with us about your experience. We really, really appreciate it. And stay safe, stay healthy, and and many, many thanks. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. When we come back, trying to find answers to some of your burning questions about the COVID-19 outbreak. I'm Katia Adler, host of the Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet, and also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously, it's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store. Which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource, and paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com/papertarian. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. 
Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. understand a lot of you out there are worried about COVID-19, and I understand why. It's a lot of information to take in. We want to answer some of the questions you sent to me via social media. So the good news is, the doctor is in. Hello? Dr. Schaffner? Yes. Hey, it's Katie Couric. Thank you, Dr. Schaffner. For... Dr. Bill Schaffner is the medical director of the National Foundation for Infectious Diseases, and a professor at Vanderbilt. Okay, let me go ahead and go through these questions, Dr. Schaffner, because you've been so nice. K-Jersey Kids asks, when do you predict or when do the uh, authorities predict the virus will peak in the U.S.? <laughs> uh, wait a minute. You didn't tell me I had to have my crystal ball here. Uh, we hope, we hope that since it's a respiratory virus, And respiratory viruses, like influenza, as we all know, they abate come March and April into May. Maybe this coronavirus will have read the textbook and does the same thing. But we don't think that will mean, even if it does that, that it will go away completely. One of the things it could do is go south of the equator. Because as we start having summer, they start having winter. And so could it be that in Australia, New Zealand, uh, Southern Africa, and in South America, they're due for this coronavirus? And then could it cycle back our next winter? Maybe. All the more reason to keep research going on that vaccine. Because if it does persist or come back, we'll need that vaccine down the road. We're hearing, by the way, speaking of that, that the vaccine is going to take a year year to a year and a half mm. to be developed. Is that what you're hearing as well? Yep, yep, yep. And let's all take a deep breath about that. You, you want people to hurry up but not rush. Nobody wants to start delivering an unsafe or an ineffective vaccine to our population. We want to be sure we're doing it right. Let's give them a little time. Science can't be rushed. Jen Scoville asks, should we be pausing personal travel? Well, Jen, I would ask, if I may ask a personal question, are you older than 60? Do you have one of those underlying illnesses? Because if you do, I would ask you to think twice about how essential that trip is right now. And if it's not all that essential, postpone it. And as Dr. Tony Fauci has said from the NIH, don't even think about going on a cruise. I know, really. Squid 614. These are funny handles. Am I crazy to want to continue going to workout classes? I I don't think you are. Uh, I, I think at any age you can go to a workout class. That's not really a close, intense environment where you get face-to-face with people. Take some wipes along. Your gym probably has them. And wipe off the seats and your barbells and things like that before you use them and after you use them because that'll make them more friendly to others. Uh, Gentle, good exercise, good for the body. 
Allison wants to know, how could a person tell the difference between corona symptoms and cold symptoms? Oh, that's pretty easy. I thought she was going to ask me the harder question, how you how you, can you distinguish it from flu? Well, we'll cold. do that as a follow-up. <laughs> yeah, so cold, think of from the neck up. Uh, sore throat, stuffy nose, feeling kind of punk, maybe your eyes get a little bit red, uh, maybe a little bit of fever, not so bad. Coronavirus and flu, who are, they're indistinguishable, will get down into your chest pretty quickly, cause irritation of your bronchial tubes and a cough, a kind of a dry cough. And then both of those viruses can make you more sick by having you feel really punk, losing your appetite. Some people get abdominal pain and diarrhea. And then, of course, as we move along the more serious part of the spectrum of illness, if that virus gets out into your lungs, the coronavirus, it can cause pneumonia. And if that's bad enough, you'll have difficulty breathing. By that time, you will have called your healthcare provider or shown up in the emergency room. When someone has a mild case and doesn't need hospitalization, uh, what kind of medicines are most effective for dealing with this? Is it sort of common sense, like cough syrup and uh, plenty of fluids, chicken soup, that kind of thing, Advil, Tylenol? I mean, what are you recommending when people actually do test positively for this? That's perfect. You've just written the prescription. I could be uh, a doctor. Stay home. <laughs> Why not? So uh, stay away from folks. And if you're home, keep up your fluids. Chicken soup is wonderful. Uh Coffee and alcoholic beverages don't count because they tend to be diuretics. They tend to dry you out, actually. Right. They, they're very dehydrating. Yes. So they don't count. Uh, plain water works just fine. And sure, for relief of symptoms, uh, an aspirin or anything like that, a Tylenol, will certainly help. Should pregnant women worry? That's one question we got. At the moment, I haven't seen any data to suggest that coronavirus infection in a woman can affect her baby, but it has not been well studied. And I'm sure there are physicians in China who've had experience with this who are going to tell us of their experience. So I'm going to put that one off on the side. But in terms of worry, I think you're like a normal person, except you're a bit immunosuppressed. Uh, that's a natural condition in pregnancy. And so take special care to avoid people who are coughing and sneezing. Wash those hands and uh, it's not a good time to travel. When, if you do believe you have coronavirus, either you've been diagnosed or you just feel like you have a, hopefully you, you'll call your doctor if you feel like you, you have it. Um, at what point is it safe to go out in the world again? It's safe to go out in the world again when you're feeling better and your fever is all gone. And that's the general recommendation we make for influenza, and it would apply to the coronavirus also. Well, I know you have other patients you need to talk to. Dr. Bill Schaffner, thank you so much for spending some time answering these questions. <laughs> what a pleasure, Katie. Good to be with you, and uh, call anytime with more of those 
very interesting questions, and I'll take another one of your pop quizzes. Okay, Dr. Schaffner, thank you so much. Sure. Bye-bye. Bye. That was Dr. Bill Schaffner of the National Foundation for Infectious Diseases. And before we go, I want to return to Dr. Maria Van Kerkhove for some tips and words of advice. Pay attention to what CDC is saying and what government websites are saying. You can always come to who.int and see, you know, the information that we have. But the basics, these fundamentals of hand washing, of respiratory etiquette, and what we mean by that is making sure you sneeze into your elbow or sneeze into a tissue um, and put it in a closed bin and then wash your hands. Practice social distancing. Keep three feet away from people, especially people who are, are, are sick. Um, these things are very simple to do, and everyone can do them from your grandmother to your children. Um, and these are things that we want everybody to know and practice in their daily life. That's it for this episode of Next Question. We really hope it's given you some important information and put you at ease, at least a little bit. As the story and the outbreak continue to evolve, you can find the most updated information and recommendations at cdc.gov and the World Health Organization at who.int. We'll also be updating my newsletter, Wake Up Call, with the latest articles and information. And by the way, you can subscribe to that at katiecurric.com. Stay healthy out there, everyone. Wash your hands for 20 seconds or just sing happy birthday twice. Until next time and my next question, I'm Katie Couric. Thanks so much for listening. Next Question with Katie Couric is a production of iHeartRadio and Katie Couric Media. The executive producers are Katie Couric, Courtney Litz, and Tyler Klang. The supervising producer is Lauren Hansen. Our show producer is Bethann Macaluso. The associate producers are Emily Pinto and Derek Clements. Editing by Derek Clements, Dylan Fagan, and Lowell Berlanti. Mixing by Dylan Fagan. Our researcher is Gabriel Loser. For more information on today's episode, go to katiecurric.com and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at katiecurric. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com, that's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. 
If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.